Oh, Becky. Isn't that great? Say, say happy birthday to her today. So I love that video. We're actually, I think, going to do, that was sports with Becky. We're going to do music with Jim at some point. So that'll be fun <laughs> for you guys. Um, hey, uh, welcome again. We're, we're starting a new series today. It's just a two-week series, uh, real quick, called Illusion. And uh, we want to dive into this a uh, little bit today. But before, before we talk too much about it, I want to tee it up by introducing to you my mom. And I'm going to introduce uh, you to her via video. And she's going to tell a little story about a young Jim. So here you go. Check it out. Let's hope this works. Hi, I'm Janie Smith. And I'm Jim Candy's mother. And I'm going to tell you two stories about him making friends when he was just a little dude. And the first one is we moved from South Boulder over to North Boulder into a brand new community, all new people. And Jim had no friends. And we went out one day, he was probably three, we went out one day and walked the streets and all of a sudden he's doing friends, friends. And I'm going, what's going on? Friends. Well, long story short, we walked two blocks. We didn't get a friend. So it wasn't too long after that that um, I was invited to a Tupperware party, an in-home Tupperware party. And it said, the invitation said, bring your kids. So I brought Jim. And the kids at the party were all downstairs in the basement. And Jim, I opened the door for him to go downstairs, and he went downstairs. It was so cute. He said, Hi, kids, it's Jim Bobbers. <laughs> That's <was> so funny. <laughs> so anyway, from that point on, Jim had lots of friends. Here's my mom. Come on, I mean, honestly. Is that, she's so cute. She's sitting over there somewhere. Uh, and I swear, if any of you call me Jim Bobbers, you're out of this church. So, yeah. <laughs> um, you, know, you know what's funny about... Uh, funny about that video is... I, I've heard my mom tell that story before, and I just thought, when I was a little kid... I would ask people to be my friend. I would actually say, hey, would you be my friend? I don't know if it stopped at age three or five or eight or somewhere in there. We don't ask each other to be friends anymore. Uh, I'm trying to think of any time in my adult life where a male has come to me, a guy has come to me and said, I'd like to be your friend. It just feels weird, doesn't it? I, and I know that I've never done that for somebody else. There's some kind of unwritten male rule. And ladies, I don't know about you. I've, I've watched my wife, and I think, I think women operate a little bit differently on this, but tell me if I'm wrong. There is something about guys that says we cannot do that. We cannot show the kind of vulnerability or lack of independence that it would require in order to tell somebody else that we might actually need a friendship. So this, this series, real quick, two weeks, but we want to talk about what are the illusions that people have put in our lives that we buy into. Man, one of the big ones, at least for guys, is an illusion that we have to be independent, always strong, never show vulnerability, and it's a fast track to being lonely. Here's what I'm going to do. I wanna, let me back up for a second. I'm going to tell you our calendar coming up here for the next couple months because I think uh, this is going to be fun. This week, next week, we're talking about illusion. Real quick series about you know, this idea. 
after that, we're actually in two weeks going to start a series called Endgame that we're going to look at the book of Revelation. You know that book at the end of your Bible that you're like freaked out by and that we're all intimidated by? We're going to look at that for five or six weeks all the way heading up toward Easter Sunday, which is April Fool's Day, the first day of April. And so that's our calendar here for the next couple months. Guys, Great chance these next couple months. Invite somebody to join you at Ascent. We have one of our uh, kind of values of our church is accessibility. We make a promise to you that anytime you invite somebody to come to church, whether they've ever been to church or not before, that we will not embarrass you. That's, that's our deal, is that you bring them here. We will make this an accessible place. I hope that you'll do that these next two months because I think we've got some, some really cool stuff in store. But for this week... Let's talk about this idea of illusion. And I, and I specifically want to think about for a second, where, where are you getting the illusions that are coming at you about how you're supposed to lead your life? Like I said, for guys, there's this illusion that gets promoted. We're going to talk about this one. But there's other illusions that we hear too. And one of the things that we've got to get to the bottom of, where do those things come from? Because we often buy into them without even knowing it. Uh, I want to give you a quick quote from a guy named Dallas Willard, phenomenal author, uh, and I love this guy. Here, here's one of the things he says about this. I hope that, if nothing else, this may be something we take away from this two-week series. Look what he says. Dallas says, it is one of the major transitions in life. Oh, this is a big milestone when you hit this. One of the major transitions of life is to recognize who has taught us, who's mastered us, and then to evaluate the results in us of their teaching. One of the biggest things we can do is to actually take a step back and say, where are the illusions coming from that I've bought into and I'm living? Who's mastered me without even knowing it? Some of us in here would say, like, oh, I haven't, I haven't bought into any kind of illusion. I'm far too independent and, you know, self-motivated uh, to fall into anybody else's illusion on what should be true of my life, even that you got from somebody else. we got to be self-aware, hopefully, in this series. We're looking at ourselves going, where are the illusions we bought into? Where did they come from? And how do we actually live into what the reality is? So there's an illusion, I think, again, for guys on this end of the scale. There's, there's another illusion that I think actually gets promoted by the church. And, and some of us grew up in this illusion and this idea that on the one hand, the world is telling us independent, never show vulnerability. But on the other hand, sometimes what we hear out of church, especially for guys, is be passive. Don't, don't ever, um, you know, uh, do anything except for show tenderness and mercy. And actually, the whole thing is set up in some ways for guys just sit and take passively and listen. And so we get these two conflicting messages about who we are supposed to be. No wonder, I'm telling you, no wonder why I think for some of us guys, we just get confused and angry. And if you ever wondered why guys don't like church, it's because we get this message over here, but the world is telling us this message. What do we do? Where do you go with all that? Guys, what, what I want to do today with you is to stop and go, man, there's an illusion that gets presented over here about who we're supposed to be. There's an illusion over here about who Jesus is and what we're supposed to be in terms of the church world. Who actually is Jesus and how does that inform 
who we are supposed to be and how we are supposed to live. Let's cut through the illusions and let's talk about Jesus because we're not just like admirers of Jesus. We don't even, we're not even just followers of Jesus. Like we actually, this is a scary word, we actually worship him. We worship him as God. And if that's true about hopefully where we're heading in our lives, we want our lives to look like his. How do we do that? Um, I think one of the best ways to do this is let's stop and look at a couple scriptures that show different sides of Jesus. I want to I show you two different passages that I think outline the different sides of Jesus that I just love. Uh, one of them is this. It's from John chapter 11. Jesus was out traveling around. He was talking to people. He was healing people. He had a friend named Lazarus who died. Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. Lazarus dies, gets put in a tomb, and Jesus comes late to see him. And, and here's what happens. This is from uh, John chapter 11. So go ahead and flash that up. I'm going to read there. This is, I don't know why I have such a small print Bible. I should not read out of that. John chapter 11 says this. Uh, Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother Lazarus would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then, and guys, by the way, this is awesome. If you, if you want to tell, impress people that you are a memory verse person, memorize this verse right here. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Got it? Jesus wept. Shortest memory verse in the Bible, but one of the most powerful. Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved them. Guys, it, um, you don't get this when you just read it in English. This was actually first written in Greek, and there's different words for crying in Greek. There's, like a, there's, a, there's a scale of crying. There's one word that means like just kind of whimper, and then it kind of goes up in severity until you hit the ugly cry. You know the ugly cry, right? The ugly cry is tears everywhere, but actually you can't control the snot from coming out of your nose. <laughs> the ugly cry. The word used here when it says Jesus wept is ugly cry. Jesus erupts into tears. Jesus has incredible compassion, incredible tenderness, all on top of the fact that he's just about to raise the guy anyway, which is like, okay, and still, the passion and the, uh, the compassion that he has for these people, he weeps, he ugly cries. This is why we love the guy. We love Jesus because of his tenderness. The church is fantastic about talking about Jesus in these terms. Now, let me ask you this. Do you recognize this Jesus? Watch this. a whip from cords and drove all the animals out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. 
let's read this. This is from John chapter 2. It was nearly the time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes. Read that. Think about this for a second. Jesus made a whip from some ropes. And I can't read this thing because it's too small. Where is it on here? Made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going over the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. So what was happening was all these people would come up to Jerusalem to buy these animals because here was the ancient Jewish custom. I've sinned. I've done things wrong. In order for God to accept me again, I actually have to see something die. So I sacrifice these animals. So they come and they buy pigeons and they buy doves and they actually kill them. And that's, that's why they were coming. By the way, this is where when Jesus at the cross dies, all that's done There's there's no need anymore for us to, you'll be happy to hear, we will not be sacrificing animals at Ascent anytime soon because Jesus died on the cross for us. And so Jesus sees this, sees that this is going on in the temple, that these poor people are coming in and having to buy these sacrifices. And what he's most upset about is the fact that everybody knows that these guys who are doing it are ripping people off. If you've ever been uh, on a trip to a foreign country, you know when you take your American dollars and you go and you trade them in for whatever currency is, you better count the money. You better make sure you know the, the exchange rate because you're, you're likely to have less money come back to you than what you do. This is going on in the temple. In the temple, this is going on. Jesus walks in, sees people who are poor getting ripped off as they're trying to buy sacrifices, and he's furious about it. And the tables go, and the whip comes out. Guys, come on. That's not the image that we see of Jesus that is portrayed to us in the church all the time. It's a different kind of Jesus. And so sometimes, again, we have an illusion over here, we have an illusion over here, but the reality of what you see in Jesus is an incredible combination of strength and power combined with tenderness and compassion. That's not an illusion. That's the reality that we want to live into. What I want to do, guys, is I think as we try to get this across and what it means, it's way better to look at somebody's actual life and talk through how this gets played out. I've invited a friend today to kind of come up and join me and talk through this together. Uh, some of you guys know him. Uh, Don Stensrud. Don, come on up here, man. Uh, Don Stensrud is the principal at Fairview High School right over here in South Boulder. He lives, uh, I heard of Sco Knights back there, yeah. Uh, he lives over in Superior, and uh, I asked him to come kind of share with us today. So do you guys mind welcoming him up here and saying thanks? So take a seat, man. Okay. Yeah. Uh, first of all, Don, who is your favorite graduate from Fairview High School, class of 1991? It's Jim Bobber's candy. <laughs> oh, you're out of this church, bro. Okay, yeah. I, I, I do. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't say my wife. So, okay. Yeah. Um, so, one of the ways that you get an illusion thrown at you is through your family of origin. 
right? You have to go back and you have to evaluate what were the things that were taught to me directly or indirectly in that family. And in Don's case, uh, life is certainly a good example of this. So I want you to talk about that. But first, you got to tell a story about how your kind of uh, relationship was like with your dad. Okay. I was, my dad was a military officer, so you had to fly straight all the time. And discipline was very quick and efficient, and it happened. So I'll tell, I'll tell the car story. I've told yeah, this yeah. to Jim. I want to hear this. In my senior year in high school, I got to drive truly the coolest car ever made. Sweet. Absolutely <laughs> right. 69 GTO, 455 engine, four-barrel of holly carb, Hurst shift kit, eight miles per gallon. <laughs> you drove as fast as you could from gas station to gas station. <laughs> and, and the deal for me to be able to drive it was one thing. Do not race it. I don't ever want to see you racing that car. Sure. Which is a good, good call on that, your dad's part. a good part. call. Yeah. The bad call was giving that car to an 18-year-old. <laughs> yeah. So one day, it was a Friday night, with one of my buddies, we're driving Colorado Springs, and it wasn't really my fault. <laughs> Not my fault. I mean, I'm parked, I'm stopped at a stoplight, and an Air Force Academy cadet drives up next to us in his brand-new Corvette. And he goes, I'm like, really? That's a sissy little car, buddy. Listen to this. And I fired it up, and the light changed. 18, big car, Corvette, cadet, and I blew him away. Nice. So we're about four, five blocks down, and my buddy turns and goes, dude, I think we just drove past your dad. And Nevada Avenue goes north-south, and Kasha Laputer goes east-west, and he goes, I think your dad was on Kasha Laputer. So I think, oh, oh, this is bad. So I, I drive home, I drive him home, drop him off, go to my house hoping I can get there before my dad got there. That didn't happen. And dad is waiting in the living room with like this look and goes, keys. These? Yeah, keys. So I gave him the keys thinking, okay, in a couple of weeks, I'll get my car back. No. Friday night, give me the keys. Saturday, he sold the car. Monday, I got to drive this. <laughs> no, that's not sweet. Whoever said sweet, no. That's a 63 Mercury Comet four-door. Now, mine was mint metallic green, which is even more pathetic looking than that. It had a 216 engine in it, which was zero to 60 if you started on Monday, sometime on Tuesday. <laughs> Grandmas would make fun of me. So, and, and when you're six foot three, six foot four, and 150 pounds, you need every cool factor you could get. That wasn't it. Oh, man. That that is, is, I, he yeah. told me that story. That is so painful. Although, being born in 1973, I look at that car, and I'm like, that actually looks pretty cool. But yeah, no. Not so much. Okay. No. Good to know. Yeah. Not in 77. What, it wasn't cool. What? Um, so you grow up with a dad who's a military dad, mm -hmm. and what kind of stuff did you get from him about what it means to live and be a guy? What? My dad, my dad was a Norwegian stoic. You know, there wasn't a lot of emotions. It was, you gotta work hard, you gotta do your job, you don't cry, you gotta be a man. And there just was never really that affection or tenderness. It was just like, 
be a good kid. In fact, you told me the other day that that was true all the way up until your dad was literally dying. <laughs> and why don't you tell that story about what happened there? Yeah, my dad died 10 years ago this upcoming April. And um, he had Alzheimer's, and every now and then he'd have a good day. And this was the last day he was in the hospital before we moved him into hospice. And he grabbed my hand, and he looked up at me, and he said, you were a good boy. You know, which is a really tender moment. And that's really the last words my dad ever said to me. Hmm. But the tough thing about that was, that was the only time in my life my dad ever said I was a good boy. I, you got to stop and sit with that one for a second. Like, if, if you never hear that ever from your dad growing up or a parent, mm -hmm. and the only time you ever hear that, that has huge ramifications on us. Uh, what, what happened? How, how did that play out then with well, you? I mean, up until that time, I mean, I did everything to try and get garner my dad's approval. Mm -hmm. And I was the youngest principal ever in Boulder Valley history. Oh, you're a principal. Middle school? Really? Yeah. I became a high school principal so I could be, you know, more impressive. But at the same time, what it did was I became like my dad to my kids. Huh. You know, I, I swore, I said, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do things. So my dad worked all the time. And so I got really good at doing Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts and coaching things and bringing my son Matt to a thousand Fairview, you know, athletic events and concerts. But my emotions kind of ran the gamut of A to B. It was just like my dad. Hmm. You know, I was tough. I was hard. I was, I'd get easily frustrated, easily angered. Yeah. So I was, I was a hard guy on my kids. Do you, um, and, and so all, this is all going on while you're principal. People mm -hmm. know you and uh, assuming, looking at you, thinking everything's probably great with this guy because he's, mm -hmm. you know, ascended to this, you know, important position and mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. But inside... Are you aware at this point of what's going on with you? It, like, do you see something going wrong, or where, where did you start to hit a bottom with this? Well, I, you know, I think I used to find all my significance and all my value in my job. You know, as I am, I was Don Stendrude principal. I wasn't just Don Stendrude dad or Don Stendrude husband. I think things all went, you know, downhill about eight years ago. I got separated and then divorced. And... You know, I think you know, I, I wasn't close to my, you know, I, I was a, not a great husband at that time. I was not a great dad. And my life just kind of spiraled out of control on one side, you know, the personal life, and then my professional life, I would hold it together. Um, I mean, I was just a wreck. I mean, last week you talked about finding our, ourselves in love and, love and significance and adventure in all the wrong ways. That's what I was doing. And then... You just live in shame. You know, I, I met a, a wonderful lady. We, uh, we got married, but I was still broken inside. Mm. And so, I mean, I just hit, I hit rock bottom. I, I was going to lose this marriage. I was going to lose my sons forever unless I just pulled my head out. Mm. And, um, you know, as men, we don't do a good job of, of turning to anybody else or turning to God. We just kind of say, I can fix it all myself. And you talk about being lonely. You do. You just, you just hide within yourself. Uh, I, I don't know if anybody else saw this, but a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know how in the U.S. we've got like Secretary of Health and Human Services or Secretary of Defense. We've got all these kind of 
posts that you can be appointed to. The UK just started a new post uh, called the Minister of Loneliness. Anybody see this? And the whole idea is in the UK, what they're saying is that they're seeing from their uh, studies of their residents that uh, premature death in life is more likely tied to being lonely than it is to obesity, uh, smoking, or drinking. They are seeing people uh, die earlier, younger, more likely if you're alone than any other factor. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable. And, And, but... Again, when we're fed an illusion like you were about how to live, all of a sudden now you're isolated. Mm-hmm. You're going through all this stuff in your life, and you got nobody to talk to. Like, like we all, like most of the guys in this room, all of us would say, like, yeah, we we get that. We don't. How many of us actually have other people that we can relate to and actually fully disclose what's really going on in our lives mm-hmm. with? Well, and I think that's you know, I I ended up being a great poser. I could I could you know, get this great illusion that my whole life was together. But when everything was really to the point that it was falling apart, and I think so often for men, we just let it fall apart. And then we go back and we're angry about it. We point fingers at other people. But eventually you just got to deal with yourself. And that's what I had to do. I had to sit there and say, I can go one of two ways. I can just continue to let my life go to, you know, hell in a handbasket, or I can, I can do something. So... For me, I called a couple of my buddies who I had, yeah. I had known for years, and I just said, I brought them in and said, here's what I'm doing. I'm falling apart. How, see, I'm fascinated by that. You made a choice there, because some people would just not even be aware, and they would just keep falling apart, mm-hmm. but you somehow made a choice at some point to say, I actually need help. Mm-hmm. What, what gives with that? How? Well, I think it was two things. I think one is that there was a foundational piece from growing up. As, as a Christian, that I had, I had really pushed away God during this time, because it's fascinating. The person you should be going to, I mean, turning your life to Jesus and saying, help me, you have a tendency, I had a tendency, I think most men do, to push him away when things are bad. Mm. You know, I remember the first time I came to church, you had that sermon where you had the Chester drawers, yeah. and you had that little hidden drawer, and I had all my crap in that hidden drawer, and I wasn't going to let God see that or let anybody see that. And then you just got to realize is that, do I really want to be this person? And, and I got to the point, I just didn't want to be that person anymore. And I had to either, I had to turn it back to God. And I had a couple of good friends who were neat Christian men who said, we'll be here with you. So what happened then? Because you had another big turning point. Mm-hmm. Uh, those, reaching out to those guys was huge. And then you went on a retreat of some kind, too. There's an organization called Men at the Cross, and um, three-day weekend, and you deal, as men, you deal with your, your shame and your fear, and ultimately you deal with what your, your brokenness is. And we're not good as men at being, at being broken. Like, I can do it all. Again, that's how I was raised. No, yeah. I'm, you gotta be good enough. You gotta be strong enough. But you gotta realize that we're broken. I mean, it's... All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's just brokenness. And so at that retreat, I dealt with the things that were broken in my life. And you realize that if you turn them over back to God and you realize that we are beloved children of God, mm-hmm. you know, we realize our brokenness and we realize where we stand with him. Mm-hmm. It's his grace and his mercy that covers that for us. And, and you as a kid also too had this image of Jesus that we talked about mm-hmm. that... 
is maybe the false illusion of Jesus that never shows any kind of strength. Like, well, talk, the Lutheran church, you know, the Lutherans are really good. Let's say like Catholic light, third less guilt. Um, <laughs> but if you, if you grew up in Lutheran church, you can understand that. But like all over the church, you'd have these pictures of Jesus, like in these little pastoral fields holding sheep. And that was your, that was your image of Jesus. And, it, and even growing up, every night, my, my mom would come in, I'd do my prayers. Jesus, tender shepherd, hear me. Bless thy little lamb tonight. Through the darkness, be thou near me. Keep me safe to morning's light. Bless mom and dad, yeah, my sister. So, <laughs> but I can, I can still remember that prayer. I mean, it was about Jesus as the shepherd. Yeah. It was never as Jesus as the warrior yeah. or Jesus as, you know, whipping the, you know, the sheep and the, and the cattle all out of the... the there temple. wasn't a whole lot of pictures around your church of Jesus with a whip in his hand. No, like, you didn't no. see a lot of those. Okay, yeah, no. yeah, no. Well, Don, what's so funny to me is, that, so I've gotten to know Don a little bit over the last couple of years especially, and what's so funny to me, man, is that you, when you talk about how you used to be, I don't, I'm kind of stunned. Like, I, when he talks about that he was this not many years ago, mm -hmm. I'm like, it, it's so cool to see how God can actually change a human life. It, it's, it's remarkable because, like, he and I will go out and eat at Wayne's Smokehouse mm -hmm. place. And what I love about him is he actually asks me, like, how are you feeling about this? How are you doing in this area? It's not just what guys often do to make friends, and again, I don't know how women operate on this level, but what guys often do is we make friends based on common enemies, mm -hmm. you know? It can be like, hey, you hate the Eagles? Me too, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. Or I mean the Patriots. The Patriots, Sorry. buddy, buddy. We, yeah. we, want the, we want the Eagles to win, yeah. we want the Eagles Tom to Brady win. Tom Brady cheats. Yeah, okay, <laughs> that's so. right, Tom Brady, boo. But no, I, I think what's, um, what's so amazing, what I've seen in your heart, Don, is that you are a guy that, that lives in the reality that we're talking about of what we want to live into and not one of the false illusions. Mm -hmm. how, how, do you, how do you foster that now that, you, you know, you had this change in your life and you've come so far, mm -hmm. but let's face it, you're like me. You could fall back into anything at any moment, oh. you know? So how do you, how do you keep that going? I think a couple things. I think one thing I want to share one more thing about my, my oldest son that when I said like I, was, I was like my dad, just last week, uh, Tammy, my wife, and I were talking to Matt, and Tammy was trying to understand what it was like for Matt growing up, you know, with his mom and when we were in a terrible relationship, and Matt said, you know, well, Dad, you were a, I'm going to use the word jerk, but it was a different word that he used. Um, and I was, because he said, you know, the only word that he remembered me, you know, ever sharing with him was, you're fine, you're going to be okay, you're mm -hmm. fine. And then... You know, he said, you know, I saw it in, a little bit in, at the end of my high school career. This is him talking. And then when I went off to college and came back, his thought was, my gosh, you know, who, told, who stole my dad and replaced him with this pod person? Because now it was someone who actually cared about him. Hmm. And it was about relationship. And I, and I think what happened is that what made the change? You, you, you got you to turn to Christ. You got you to give your life back you got to come back home. I mean, it's, you guys just said that series for the last four weeks. But I think men need to be in relationship with other men. You know, I've got a couple really good friends. I've got one buddy, Scott, I can call him 24-7. You know, they came over for dinner with Tammy and I 
you know, a couple months back, and, and Alma goes, you know how much Scott loves you? He'll just drop anything he's doing when you call to make sure you're okay. And I have a men's group I meet with on, on Wednesday mornings, and those guys will hold you, your feet to the fire, hold you accountable, make the phone calls. Are you being the way you need to be? I love to sit there and say I'm perfect, and I, I'm no, not even close. It's still a major work in progress. It's, there's that passage, I think it's in Joel, that says that the Lord will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And with my, with my son, I think that's happening. Mm. And I think, you know, even in my, my life with my friends, that's what's happening. It's because I'm, I'm able to have relationships with men again and to be vulnerable mm. and to sit there and say, you know, I'm sucking at this right now. Can you help me? Mm. Listen, if you find yourself in life where you are going to work, coming home, uh, you know, doing the best you can and getting up the next day and doing it again and the next day and doing it again without any sort of genuine connection with other people, that's dangerous. That, that is a danger that we can all fall into really quickly. And what, one of the things we want to do today is just invite you um, Guys, there are so many opportunities in this church to actually build friendships, whether that's through Trailhead or whether that's through, um, gosh, when, when we started the church, it was like women's ministries just boomed all, you know, it was like we had uh, mops, mothers of preschoolers get started, and we had like 60 women from the like first meeting. Yep. Uh, we had uh, women's Bible study, Laura Bussey leading that, just phenomenal stuff. We're, we're talking about um, starting uh, an event called the If Gathering. We're going to do something around that here pretty soon. Uh, we are a little over four years in, and I'm still waiting for that first men's thing mm -hmm. to happen. And we don't have to wait anymore nope. because uh, we are going to have a men's retreat next month, uh, March 16th through the 18th. Don's going to be there. A bunch of guys are going to be there. Guys, if you find yourself in that dangerous spot, you should come. Mm -hmm. You should come and you should be a part of that. Get to know some other guy. It doesn't matter if you're you know, college students on up, I hope, I hope you will consider coming to that retreat and getting involved because we really want to move us out of this illusion over here into health and relationships with other people. So, okay. um, guys, Don has a position that's public and people know him. It's not easy to get up in front of a group of people that's being videoed and, and talk about stuff that's that tender. Can you guys say thank you to him because that's kind of a big deal. So, yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Good job. I, honey, let's close this with one last image. Jesus on the cross. Jesus dying for us. Jesus in so much pain that we had to invent a new word, excruciate, in order to capture what was happening there. Here he is, and Jesus is offered something. You know he was offered something when he's on the cross? He's offered alcohol. He's offered wine. They tried to reach up and give him wine because it was so painful. I just got to tell you, if it were me up there, bring on the Rio Grande margaritas. Give me like 10 of those things because I can't handle this, you know. Jesus says no. You want to talk about strength. Jesus says, I'm not doling the pain. I'd rather have my wits about me than have any of the pain go away. That's incredible strength. And in the next breath, 
Jesus says what? He looks at the guys who actually nailed him up on that cross, and he says, forgive them. Father, forgive them because they actually don't know what they're doing. Man, that's incredible compassion. We've got to take this illusion, this illusion, and say the reality lies here in what we see in the life of Jesus. And you've got to see it played out in Don Stenzard's life today. There's a lot of stories in this room that are waiting to be written like that. Lord, thank you for the chance to get to hear how you change lives, how you can pull us out of a false life into real life in you. I pray for us, Lord, I pray for me, where I just, I feel that sense of loneliness that so easily comes into us, where it just feels like that what I need to be is that little three-year-old boy who was willing to call out and ask and show the vulnerability for relationships in our lives. Most importantly, God, we got to call out for the vulnerability for you. Just ask, Lord, that we would have the courage to say, God, we need you. We want you. We trust you that the way that you have called us to live is right. And that part of that means we're going to have the relationships with other people that feed that. So, God, Bless this place and this church as a ground where that stuff happens. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, let's sing together this last song.